everyone, and welcome to this episode of PR Not BS with me, Fiona Scott. I hope you're having a great day. I hope you're having a great week, a great month, a great year so far. And some really lovely tips come in today. I'm joined by a PR journo hybrid colleague called Neve, who does very similar to me, except very much in the national arena. I'm not going to introduce her. She's going to introduce herself. So Neve, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here. So I am a freelance national journalist. I cover celebrity entertainment showbiz and television for quite a few national titles, including The Mirror, Daily Star, OK Magazine, and lots of titles like that. But then alongside that, I also work in PR, working directly kind of with agencies and consumer clients, very much in the lifestyle arena. So I sit between both. And why does that mix work for you Neve. how does it work for you and suit your life it's perfect for me I really enjoy both fields I trained as a journalist I cut my teeth working in regional journalism always up here in the northwest where I live and I really really enjoyed it but then when I got a chance to work with PRs that were doing it really well I was really interested in how that worked and it just became a really great relationship to have with them and they were so helpful for me and I kind of thought maybe that's something I could try moved into that really enjoyed it but then also still missed the writing so I get the best of both worlds by doing both of them at the moment. Okay so let's put your journal hat on for a bit tell us some um, recent stories you've written about celebrities you've written about and how that's worked. Particularly at the moment we've been covering a lot of things to do with um, Winter Love Island I've just come off the back of covering everything to do with Strictly from Dancing which for somebody who loves TV like that it's been a dream. But then also additionally to that, for some of the lifestyle titles that I do bits and pieces for, we've done loads about flexible childcare options, like what that kind of would look like for some parents, things like um, having introducing um, menopause leave for women. So some really, really important topics that really do deserve to get that airtime. So it's definitely a vibrant mix of things that I cover, but really, really interesting to see both sides of it, everything from frivolous, really fun topics that you see based on television to things that really make a difference. Okay, I'm, I'm a terrible te- TV addict. I love TV and I always blog about The Apprentice, which might not surprise mm-hmm. you. But if we take something like Love Island, which my kids love, I mean, how do you ex- access the people that are on there and chat to them? Sort of, let's give someone some practical, the mechanics of how it works. So particularly when they're still in Love Island and they're being introduced, whether they are the starting cast or bombshells or people that get brought in later in the series you will normally have the ITV press office that is sending through details you know ahead of a program that's going to be on that night and then once they come out they do support in kind of arranging interviews but every single person that's going on to these kind of programs will already have quite a defined social media presence it, it just goes hand in hand so you already know that when they come out they're going to have Instagram, TikTok, everything that you can access to kind of speak to them. And a lot of them are really still keen to speak to the media. And, you know, they're going in because it's a career move for them. Many of them might still go back to careers that they had. So we have Paige, who was on the previous Love Island, who's gone back to being a paramedic. And that's brilliant. But she's still very active on social media, still really vocal about things that obviously are of interest to her. That's kind of where you kind of look for it. It's looking at them on social media. It's looking at things that they're doing and saying and things that they want to talk about as well. There's quite a few people from Love Island from previous years that are still really, really great for celebrity kind of soundbites because 
they are still actively speaking about things that are important. Um, Sharon Gasker is, is a brilliant example of somebody who went on Love Island, but is now amazingly standing up for some really important issues. Do you keep in touch with any of these people, Neve, and then, you know, come back to them again and again over time? Most definitely. I think particularly when you know they're passionate about a certain subject. So one somebody that we come back to quite a bit at the moment is Amy Hart, who was on Love Island in 2019. And she was really, really vocal recently about her struggles with infertility. And she's currently pregnant with her first baby, which will be born March, so um, quite soon. But she's been really vocal about things like why she doesn't believe in having a baby shower, why actually you know, she doesn't really want to invite that unsolicited parenting advice. And she's quite set in her ways of wanting to parent. And that's really nice topics, but it means whenever something comes up in the future, she's definitely somebody that I would reach out to because I know it's something that's close to her heart. With your journal hat on, do you ever get inappropriate press releases sent to you or, you know, PR outreach where you think, really, be a bit more thoughtful? All the time. All the time. And I think because I'm also a PR, it probably irks me more than it probably would for quite a lot of journalists because sometimes I think this is just really lazy. I previously myself written about stories about miscarriage, about pregnancy issues, and I'll get people that will send me stuff about like oh this is meant to be um, really great for women's health and I'm like you don't know enough about my health issues to send that to me but I think a lot of it is sometimes just not quite getting the title right that I work for and I've had loads of people say oh I think this would be great for Daily Express I don't write for them I've never written for them so it's things where I'm like check who who the person writes for check what they cover and particularly if it's somebody that's a freelancer check that they're still writing for that title because people change all the time yeah, I think it's very interesting that you say that because I often say to my clients, if they're, if they're interested ultimately in some national coverage, it's better to have a good relationship with a small handful of national journalists than trying to be all things to everyone or trying to pepper the whole of the media with your story when 98% of the media will not be interested. That spray and pray approach that probably used to happen in PR quite a few, few years ago where you could just BCC everybody and just send it out doesn't work anymore. And if you're sending me something that I'm going to use, I need it to be almost like ready for me to take straight to an editor. So you need to explain why it's important, what it is that I'm going to get for this story. You know, have you got an expert? Have you got guidance? Have you got a product that needs to be tried or anything like that? And then prep me so I can go to my editor and say, I think this is a story worth covering. If you can't help me to answer those questions, then ultimately I'm probably not going to use your release or use your product. And what about when you're actually doing some research yourself or you're talking to an editor and you decide you want to write about subject A, where do you go to research to find your case studies if they're not in your little black book? Social media, particularly looking at kind of like people that are responding to news or responding to things. So particularly when I've been looking at things for um, endometriosis, which is something that's really close to my heart because it's something that I suffer with. I look at like relevant hashtags. I look at groups. I look at people that are keen to talk about something, but not just to have like a moan or, or a whinge. It's more about they want to talk about because they've got something they want to say that can change something or it can impact something. And then reaching out and seeing if they do want to be included. And I think particularly when you've got very sensitive topic matters, it's making sure that they're aware that, you know, that is going to be out there and it's going to be online or it's going to be in a newspaper or a magazine. Like, are they happy with that? Because there's nothing worse than me spending all that time working with somebody, submitting it to my editor, 
And then the case study tells me they don't want to be in it anymore. God, that's happened to me so many times, Neve. But anyway, aside, I've got to get this plug in. I've got two clients that have suffered from endometriosis. So yeah, if you do need that, you know who to come to. Definitely, definitely. It's something that's always relevant. And then particularly with March being Endometriosis Awareness Month, I'm really hopeful that we're going to see even more kind of coverage and more understanding of it now, less so much about, oh, what is it? But how, how do you support somebody with it? And how do you make them? A lot of women have problems for years and don't even know that's what it is. Yeah, it's said it in a few pieces that I've written, which is if you are having a problem period or it doesn't feel quite right, then you need to speak to your doctor. And also I've noticed it's quite in vogue in the media at the moment about talking about women and menopause, which was a subject 10 years ago. We didn't even really go there. Yeah, I think you get a lot of subjects that will sometimes kind of pop up in the media. They're there for a little bit and then they almost like drop off the face of the earth again. You know, miscarriage is one that's coming up a lot more. Menopause is definitely. But I think it's also like shifting from just about, oh, this is what it is, how to cope. It's like, actually, like, how should you be supported? How should your employer support you? What can your partner do? What can you like, put in place in your life to feel better? You know, these are transitional periods. Every single woman at some point is going to go through a menopause. And what, what do you do to equip yourself with that? Whether it's that you're like, I know it's coming or you're actually in it or coming to the end of it. It's, it's finding ways to cope through it. And I think that's where the media is kind of shifting. But it does happen with everything. You see, you know, multiple illnesses come up in, in the media. You know, you'll see strep A is currently in the media at the moment. And it's very much like, what are the symptoms? What do we do? What do we do to cope with it? And I think it's always like making sure that everything should have a spotlight at some point in the media. But just making sure that it, the conversation moves on rather than just pointing out what it is. Moving on to a slightly lighter subject, because you write a lot about celebrity and entertainment, do you ever get any criticism when you're out and about or in a group of people that oh, it's just not important, we should be focusing on more important things? I mean, what do you say, or it might even be comments, I suppose, under some of your articles that, oh, we shouldn't be talking about this. I always think people have got a real armchair attitude to what news should be. Definitely. Um, I get quite a lot of inboxes on social media a lot of DMs on Twitter or um, even sometimes my Instagram. I've also had people finding my personal Facebook to send me their opinions on articles that I've written, which I just really don't engage with because I don't see the point. But I do get quite a lot where a lot of people, they'll call it fluff, which yes, I do. But at the same time, like, people want to read it. There's a huge audience and there's a lot of really bleak, really heavy news out there at the same time. And, you know, I quite welcome the fact that if we want to talk about Strictly Come Dancing and whose quick set was better than somebody's jive, Absolutely. I think we should be allowed to do that. Yeah, because we're not one dimensional, are we? We need light and shade in our lives. And um, I will often say to people, there's an audience for everything, no matter how bizarre, no matter how niche, no matter how abstract, you know, there'll be a journalist writing about someone who's got a collection of green handbags or gold handbags. We just reflect the variety of life, don't we? Absolutely. And I've got, you know, fellow journalists that graduated at the same time as me and studied with me that some have gone on to work for New York Times. I've got friends that work for Telegraph. I've also got friends that write for Chat and Pick Me Up magazine that just absolutely enjoy speaking to people about their daily lives. And I think as long as you enjoy your subject matter, because you have to live and breathe it, then that, that's absolutely fine. But like you say, there's something for everyone. You know, your blog about The Apprentice will have people that are just as passionate about The Apprentice as you are. And that's what I enjoy, is that when I write about the programmes that I'm interested in, it's normally viewed by the majority of people that are equally as passionate, you know, whether it's, oh my God, that cliffhanger that happened in that drama on Sunday night, can't believe it. What do you think is going to happen next? Which is a conversation that you'd probably have on like a Monday morning with a colleague. 
and you're having it online via a piece of news. And I think that's brilliant. I think you've been prompted by Happy Valley there because um, one of my colleagues and I were on Twitter deciding what was going to happen next. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I want you to put your PR hat on. Controversial question. Do you think the best PRs are either journalists or have credible long-term experience in the media? I think you'll struggle to be a solid PR that can sell it and get good coverage if you've never worked either in journalism and news or in that environment you might not have necessarily been the writer of a piece but you'd have at least been like you know working at a newspaper or a magazine and seen something and I think you have to understand how their days work you know how time poor journalists can be because you've got so many things on the go and I sometimes see it where newbies into the PR business will be like oh I'm going to go and call journalists or send out my press release at half 10 on a Monday morning and my argument with that is you will not see coverage today or tomorrow because like you should be should have been on the phones at 8am you should have been like getting in there early and you only kind of know that when you know that how the day works because by half 10 by the time they get to look at it they're not going to be able to use it until later in the week and by that point there's so many other opportunities that somebody could knock your story out with theirs. Okay, so give us a bit of a flavour of a couple, if you're happy to say, a couple of the brands you're working with at the moment and where we can look out for them. Yes, I currently work with a brand that um, has created a CBD balm that is very much to kind of help soothe aches and pains, but they are really, really keen on giving voice to the endometriosis community. So for us at the moment, we have all eyes focused on Endometriosis Awareness Month and what we can ultimately do to really push that conversation forward. You know, how can you support somebody what can it feel like to have it? What do you feel like when you just get diagnosed? Because that's a really big moment for a lot of people. Definitely that's one of the clients that's really close to my heart and that I can see are doing really brilliant things and they're speaking to all the right journalists and doing really well. Um, and then also I have really fun smaller clients where it's supporting things like food and drink or supporting like wine launches or, you know, like pink lemonade launches, like really fun things where it's like, actually, this is a bit of frivolity. This is a little bit of lightheartedness. But that's kind of what's needed because as you said before like it's light and shade. I'm quite interested there you're talking about one brand and relationship to an awareness month this is something I talk about a lot and I've got a PR planner with all of these things in that I just I make available people buy it from me towards the end of each year but that requires quite a bit of planning though doesn't it Neve? you can't just suddenly spring out of nowhere and say right I'm going to do something on endometriosis awareness month you've got to be ready. Yes definitely and I think if you know you've got a month coming up in six weeks, you should be at the point already of kind of having your media releases planned, you know who you're going to, and you're already having those conversations for those online journalists. But if you're looking for something where you really want to get into a glossy magazine or, you know, something a little bit um, more like print focused, you need to be working so much more further in advance. So, you know, you need to be having those conversations like six months before. You know, there's a reason why we say in PR business or oh, Christmas in July, it's because those people that work on those magazines are already looking at Christmas in those summer months. And it's that juxtaposition of like, you know, if it's just coming up, it's happening next week, you're already very much late off the mark. You know, I hear some people where they go, I want to do a Valentine's Day campaign and it's the beginning of February. And I'm like, you are just chasing your tail and you are scrappling for coverage here when you could have made it so much easier for yourself. And there obviously are ways that you can kind of you know, find awareness through other methods. You don't have to always do an awareness month so be prepped, be ready, know what your comment is. And then when you spot the opportunities, you can go straight in without having to you know, speak to the client or go back and go, oh, what are we going to say about that? It's like we should already know what we're saying about it. 
It's just one way, isn't it? It's one way of predicting what the media might be looking at in the future. We know what the ebb and flow of the year is. If Valentine's Day occurs on the same day every single year, Easter comes up at roughly the same time every year, Christmas, Halloween. So if you're working around brands or products where those are important sales times, you've got to be ready. And I think there will always be topical moments as well. So you might find that a celebrity suddenly speaks about something and you could, you know, news jack off that and jump off it. You might also have an opportunity where something, you know, the government makes a change in legislation and that massively impacts something you can talk about. So there will always be those opportunities, but you kind of want to know that you've at least got like maybe two or three points in the year that you can talk about. The more prepared you can be, the less stressful speaking to the media will feel. I wanted to ask you, do you ever find that you struggle to get good pictures from your clients? Do you ever have conversations about the quality of photographs or the quality of photography that they provide to you? Quite a lot. And um, particularly if it's product PR, you know, we'll really struggle to get um, clients to think about plain white background cutout shot because a lot of, you know, a lot of magazines will still really want that. Another thing I think I find sometimes when it's more like a news gem piece or something that's just, you know, an event or a partnership or a signing of something is thinking about how the picture looks, like how we framed it. So, you know, you don't just all need to stand in a line next to each other, like organised by height. So it looks a little bit more uniform. Can you stand in front of a sign or stand in front of some branding? And I always say, really always, if you can do landscape rather than a portrait picture, that's a massive win. Particularly for when you're writing online, you want that kind of header image as opposed to like a short portrait that just takes up loads of space. Particularly when I used to write for quite a few online titles that use things like WordPress as their back end. If you are giving me a portrait picture, it just really takes over the page. And especially for mobile users, it's not great. So I would end up just cutting the image and not using it at all. If you really want me to use an image, send me a landscape image. I'm so glad you say that because I say that all the time. And people don't get it. If they're stuck in their heads, if they're younger people and they're stuck in their heads of Instagram, TikTok or any of those, they just don't get the portrait landscape thing at all. We'll get screenshots of Instagram stories or TikToks. Obviously, it's just taken from a mobile phone. But then what happens is we then have to layer two portrait images next to each other. So then we need even more images than you can maybe think of to supply. So people will send us two images from an Instagram story. And I'm like, but I'm going to need about six for this article. I have to then go and look for images. And quite a lot of the time I can find them or I'll find something related to that celebrity, you know, while they're at this party or they're always somebody. Some people will go, oh, well, I wish you hadn't used that image. Supply the right amount of images then and then I won't need to go looking. I must admit, now that I'm a bit older in the tooth, I tend not to work with anyone who doesn't get that and doesn't take my advice around images. Do you ever in your world of PR now talk about video at all? Definitely. There's definitely so much appetite for video. And if you can sell something in as a package, that's even better. Your release, you've got your images, you've got product information where you can buy the product or where they can go and find out more information or speak to somebody. But then having a video is always brilliant. I think the thing that I flag most is that fully branded sales type video will never work for for the news they just won't use it it's an advert it's too salesy you know we've had it when we've got clients that have sent us like raw footage from something that's happened that day and I'm, I'm like that's perfect because raw footage is much more likely to be used because a title can use it put it into their own format they can you know the back end of whatever they need to do but if you send me something that's like got your logo at the top at the front it's all splashed all over it it's got like a soundtrack and some people still go to the level of trying to make them into mini movies and it's just wasted time because it won't get used yeah I'm, I'm a great believer in video I did have um 
it was a couple of years ago now, I had a client who did like a video on their top 10 tips for the new year, wellness and well-being. I sent it to one of the nationals. It was a response to uh, a, a request. And they didn't use any of her written content. But it, I kept getting alerts that she was there. I was thinking, what's this? And eventually I clicked and realised they'd embedded the whole video at the end. So she got a seven-minute video, though she wasn't included in the article. But that was still incredibly valuable to her. I think particularly when you have a lot of titles now that are really social-led, get a lot of their traffic from Facebook or Instagram or just social media. It's just what they get through clicking through on the website. And what they need is that thing that makes somebody click. So... You know, they want like a snippet of a video that they can share. They want a video that they can take screenshots of to put onto Facebook to get people to click through. When people are scrolling through social media, like they want a video that's really understandable without always having to have the volume on. Quite a lot of people will scroll and watch a video with no sound at all. So there's accessibility things as well that you can think of. So do you put subtitles in? Do you make it so that, you know, you don't have to be able to like listen to it? I will spend quite a lot of time sometimes scrolling through my phone when I've got my daughter with me and, you know, I'm getting her to nap and getting her to go to sleep. So I don't want to play something dead loud, but I'm still consuming media. You can still reach me. And I think it's thinking of things like that. And it doesn't have to be as traditional as it maybe once was. Okay, let's look forward. What have you got your eye on for subjects for 2023 that you think are going to come up that you might want to be writing about? I think the one that's still very much going to be in discussion is things like the strikes, how that impacts us as parents, how it impacts us in lifestyles. I think you're still going to have rail strikes. What does that mean? I think you're still going to have teachers or the NHS going on strike. The fallout from it, I suppose, is what's still going to be covered in the media. There's still going to be a huge kind of talk and appetite of where we can go in the UK for holidays. I think we're not as affluent as we maybe were. We're still kind of, you know, battening down the hatches a little bit for this recession that is impending. So actually, we're not going to be going on these really expensive holidays abroad, but we're actually quite happy to go and explore the rest of the UK. So I think it's going to be looking at things like that. Like, is it that Cornwall and Devon are really overdone? But is there somewhere that's in Exeter or Plymouth that is a perfect holiday hotspot that's not that far from there? It's knowing that the behaviour that we have now and how that's going to impact us over the kind of next few months. So, Neve, if anyone wanted to find out a bit more about you, what you're into, how can they find you? On social media, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, but probably my main one for of journalism and PR. We also have my website, and I'm actually always happy to speak to people that just maybe want a journalist eye at something, or they just want to maybe float a bit of a story idea. Recently, I've had quite a few newly qualified journalists or final year uh, university students that are studying journalism that just want a bit of you know, eyes over a pitch that they're working on. And I'm always happy to help or support there. I'm definitely by no means an absolute expert, but it can't hurt to have a second pair of eyes on something. Thank you very much, Neve. Thank you for having me. You never know, I might come back to you next year for next year's hints and tips. I hope you've enjoyed listening to me and myself today and you've got taken some value from it and some tips and some learnings. If you want to find me, I'm at scottmedia.uk. I'm on Twitter at the Fiona Scott or I've got a group on Facebook called Fiona Scott's PR Tribe that's free. You can just join it if you want to. Really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, goodbye.